Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about one of the western giants, the Sitka Spruce. If you listen to episode 6 about the Christmas tree, you may remember that I'm actually not a big fan of spruces. I hope this doesn't make me any less of the tree guy, but I don't actually love every tree. The ones that poke and stab are on my naughty list, and that includes spruces because their stiff needles are very pokey. All that being said, I rather enjoy this Sitka spruce. It is a massive and visually impressive tree and played an important role in the war times of early 20th century America. Let's hear the story of the Sitka spruce and see how it rises above my disdain for other spruces. Let's talk about spruces. You're probably at least familiar with the name, but may have trouble distinguishing them from pines. After all, they are both needle and cone-bearing evergreens, and spruces are simply their own genus in the pine family. Admittedly, the cones are fairly similar. Both are mostly, well, conical in shape, and can vary in size across species. A minor difference would be with the scales of the cones. Pinecone scales tend to be more woody and stiff, while spruce cone scales tend to be more papery and flimsy. The main difference between the needle trees that we were taught in school lies with the needles and how they are attached to the twig. It may seem like a minor detail, but it's very reliable, unless you're looking at a Sitka spruce, in which case you may not be able to reach the needles since these trees are very tall. As I mentioned in the episode on the eastern white pine, Pine needles are most often born in bundles called sheaths or fascicles. So if you have a pine bough in front of you, you'll see a cluster of usually two to five needles bundled together from the same point on the twig. In contrast, spruce needles are solitary on their twigs. Their attachment to the twig is a single woody peg. You could tell if a twig came from a spruce even if there aren't needles on it because it'll be covered in those tiny pegs. On top of that, spruce needles tend to be very stiff and pokey. I've mentioned this several times because I hate it. Between their needles being on their own and stabbing anyone who touches them, spruces just aren't into physical affection, which I admit should be respected. But I'm just so touchy with trees. Many of them have such interesting and unique textures, but spruces do not want to be touched. <sighs> One last thing about spruce needles is that they typically aren't very long. Where pine needle lengths can vary from 3 quarters of an inch to 18 inches, or 2 to 46 centimeters, spruce needles are only ever half an inch to 4 inches long, or 1.5 to 10 centimeters. So if you see long needles, that ain't a spruce. So that's what makes a spruce a spruce, but what makes a Sitka spruce special? I've said it a couple times already, but it's really tall. It's one of those trees that makes you say, wow, that tree is big. And it's found where you would expect big trees to be found, which is the Pacific Northwest region of North America. That range is typically defined as being from Northern California, northward along the coast, through Oregon, Washington, British Columbia, and extending into Southern Alaska. I'm not sure how many people think Alaska when they hear Pacific Northwest, but that southern coast of the state and the series of islands that stretch down along the western edge of Canada have more of that cool and very rainy climate as opposed to the frigid tundra of inland and northern Alaska thanks to the presence of the Pacific Ocean. 
Now, like other Pacific Northwest tree species, the Sitka spruce is the biggest species in its genus. It's the biggest spruce, thanks to all the rain and stable climate conditions. The biggest Sitka spruce, the champion tree, can be found in the Quinault Rainforest in Washington's Olympic Peninsula. I had the pleasure of meeting this 191-foot giant in the summer of 2020. To some, 191 feet does seem like a very tall tree, but many may recognize that there are definitely way taller trees than that. Let me explain what a champion tree is. There is a nonprofit conservation group known as American Forests who does a lot of work towards reforestation in the United States and promotes forest conservation in general, among other things. But one of the things they do is a program called Champion Trees, where they score and crown the biggest trees in America. I think this is a great way to get people excited about trees. That's one of the biggest reasons I started this podcast, to connect trees to our histories, cultures, and religions so that we may be more excited about our forests. And while I can spend 15 to 20 minutes every Tuesday telling you really neat stories, I can also point to a really big tree and say, wow, look how big that tree is! And you'll probably get really excited about how big that tree is. People simply love big trees. All that being said, there's some question about whether or not this specific Sitka spruce on the edge of Lake Quinault is the biggest spruce. 191 feet tall, 18 feet in diameter, and 1,000 years old is definitely impressive. But what about the Sitka spruce called Raven's Tower in Northern California that stands at 317 feet tall? Or the Sitka spruce found in the Queets River Valley of Olympic National Park that has a diameter of only 15 feet, but a cubic volume one and a half times the Quinault Lake spruce? Bob Van Pelt, who is considered a big tree expert, thinks too much emphasis is put on DBH in conversations about big trees. DBH stands for Diameter at Breast Height and in a lot of cases, is a good indicator for the size of a tree. Whenever foresters talk about the diameter or thickness of a tree, that diameter is measured at either 1.3 or 1.4 meters above the base of the tree, or around 4.5 feet. This is supposed to represent the average chest height of a man, since forestry has historically been a rather male-dominated industry, and foresters need a consistent location of measurement that they could physically reach. In the case of the Sitka spruce, DBH isn't the most reliable indicator of size because these trees have the potential to have a very wide taper at the base of the tree. This flared base is often called a buttress, and because of that, the phenomenon of a tree having a flared base is unfortunately called butt swell. That's a technical term. Now, I want to stress that I'm not talking about all this because I'm trying to throw shade at American forests and their champion trees. They are one of the donation pages I have on my website, and I want you to support them if you can. But next month, I'm going to release a couple episodes about the world's biggest trees, and I want to start that conversation now about what it means to be a big tree. But back to the Sitka spruce. Records aside, in old-growth forests, the Sitka spruce can regularly reach heights of over 200 feet. One of the best places to see old-growth forests is the Ho Rainforest section of Olympic National Park. These areas are called rainforests because they receive a ton of rain. The Ho sees an average of 12 feet of rain every year. That area of the park where the visitor center and campground are is an area that has never seen fire or commercial logging. And of the conifers that make up the Ho Rainforest, almost half of them are Sitka spruces. Admittedly, it is a very heavy tourist hotspot, but if you visit outside of the summer months, you'll have a better chance to have this ancient forest to yourself. 
That's because it rains all the time for the rest of the year. But like I said, it's a rainforest. How else would you want to experience it? And that's not the only place to see fantastic Sitka spruces, though they may come in other forms elsewhere. Thanks to their tolerance of salt spray, Sitka spruces are very common to find along the coastlines. Strong sea winds keep the trees from getting too tall and give them these crazy windswept looks, like they're constantly in danger of being blown away. Many of these trees also have these massive lumps on them called burls that form when growing sections of the tree are damaged. One of my favorite weird Sitka spruces can be found at Cape Mears State Scenic Viewpoint near Tillamook, Oregon. It's called the Octopus Tree, and it has several similarly sized stems growing from its base that make it look like an octopus's tentacles. Before we move on to human history, I want to make one more note about the Sitka spruce's natural history. I have mentioned before how modern science and studies of genetics have revealed so much about what we know about trees. In 2006, scientists released a DNA study of all living members of the spruce genus, which is Picea, and we learned that in this corner of the tree family tree, the Sitka spruce is one of two basal spruce species along with the weeping spruce native to southwest Oregon and northwest California. This means that the three dozen or so other species of spruce trees around the world stem from these two species, and that the Sitka spruce is about as close as we can get to prehistoric spruce trees. Let's start with how indigenous peoples used the Sitka spruce. Both the common name and the Latin, Picea Sitchensis, come from the word Sitka, which is the name of a city and borough in southern Alaska. The word Sitka is derived from a phrase that in Tlingit means the people of She Island, or Baranoff Island as it is now modernly called. The name is in reference both to how common the tree is in southern Alaska, as well as its importance to the people living there. But native peoples throughout the Pacific Northwest have seen the value of the Sitka spruce for centuries. Remember how pokey spruce needles are? Various tribes saw that as a symbol that Sitka spruce boughs were useful for warding off evil spirits, and were often used in winter dance ceremonies. The tree was used as food in a few different ways. The inner bark could be eaten cooked or raw, and young shoots, which are high in vitamin C, were often eaten medicinally. The pitch of the Sitka spruce was also used extensively. Pitch is similar to sap, and I spoke in length about sap in the sugar maple episode. The key difference is in form. Sap is more of a liquid, like thin honey, whereas pitch is closer to being a solid, more like when you leave honey in the cabinet for a very long time and it begins to crystallize. The pitch was chewed on like modern chewing gum, but was also used as an adhesive like glue, or as caulking material. Pitch was also used in medicines to treat a myriad of stomach and intestinal issues, as well as rheumatism and back pain. In the modern age, the primary use of Sitka spruce is for its wood. The tree itself is very tall and straight, so you can imagine it's a terrific source of lumber. Especially in southern Alaska, which is still a frontier-style region, and a lot of products are made from locally sourced wood. Name any piece of furniture or wood product, and it can be made from Sitka spruce. Because each tree provides so much wood, each tree can be made into several different products. Because of its abundance in southern Alaska, and because much of southern Alaska's economy relies on the coastline, Sitka spruce often gets turned into anything maritime related. Boxes and crates for shipping, the ships used for shipping, 
oars to steer the ships, the instruments used to play sea shanties, and docks to park your ships at after you've heard enough sea shanties. All Sitka Spruce. It's so important to the state of Alaska that they have understandably designated it as their state tree. And not just because of the human need. On its own, it's a massive and beautiful tree that provides nesting for bald eagles and peregrine falcons, as well as food for just about every other woodland critter. But the Sitka spruce has really solidified itself in the annals of history thanks to World War I. In 1917, the United States finally joined the war effort against the Central Powers. It was to be the war to end all wars. And this war was different than any major war before it because planes had been invented and the skies above became one of our battlefields. But at this point in history, planes were made of wood. And for wooden planes, we needed something that was strong, but also relatively lightweight. And we needed a lot of it. Enter the Sitka Spruce. The U.S. started logging Sitka Spruce like crazy, and mill after mill was opened in the Northwest to meet insane wartime demands. Because of these high demands, and also because it was 1917, working conditions in the forests and mills were terribly unsafe. In an effort to secure better working conditions, workers ended up unionizing and started striking, which slowed down production. But when it comes to the U.S. military, what baby wants, baby gets. So the federal government took over those logging and milling operations and created what was called the Spruce Production Division, headquartered in Vancouver, Washington. The army sent 30,000 soldiers to the Northwest to work alongside civilian loggers and millers to meet the high wartime demands with no further hiccups. For the most part, they didn't just send any soldier. Most of these soldiers had experience logging as civilians or were otherwise physically capable for the intense task. But here's the thing. The working conditions were still very unsafe for anyone, including soldiers. One colonel by the name of Bryce Disk did not like the fact that his men had to put up with such unsanitary conditions. So what he did was he formed his own union and fought for better conditions like recreation rooms, more livable sleeping quarters and showers, as well as eight-hour workdays, better pay, and better sanitation regulations. The lumber industry ultimately got all the improvements they had originally unionized for, but it took military men experiencing firsthand the poor conditions to make those improvements. By the end of the war, the U.S. had pulled an immense amount of wood from northwest forests and had constructed massive sawmills. Allied forces had originally asked the U.S. for 100 million board feet of lumber for airplane production in the Great War. We gave them 158 million board feet. This piece of American history is faithfully preserved at Fort Vancouver National Historic Site in Vancouver, Washington. If military history is your thing, and you want to add another national park site to your list of places to check out, I would recommend this one for sure. But now we fast forward 20 years, because the war to end all wars did not do that. And just like the trend in Hollywood, we seem to get sequels whether we want them or not. But here we are, looking down the barrel of World War II, and the Allies need more wood. What's new this time is that in 1938, Congress established Olympic National Park in western Washington, further protecting hundreds of thousands of acres of prime lumber source. In the 1940s, when the U.S. more actively joined the war effort, this new national park was pressured to allow its resources to be stripped for military use. The forests that were so heavily logged for World War I had yet to recover, and pristine areas of the Ho and Bogusheel River valleys were targeted for their high quantities of massive Sitka spruce. The U.S. government was faced with a dilemma. 
They didn't want to set a precedent for conditionally destroying these protected areas, but they also couldn't do anything to sabotage the war efforts. In 1943, the National Park Service came to a middle ground decision. There is a section of the Olympic Peninsula known as the Queets Corridor that is currently part of the National Park, but at the time was simply undesignated federal land. This river valley is similar to the previously sought after Ho and Bogusheel Valleys, but because it had yet to fall under the same protections, NPS was able to allow logging there without compromising their mission. Thankfully, the increased advancement of technology that comes with wartime made these worries a thing of the past. The need for lighter aircrafts led to frames being built from aluminum rather than wood. And so, the Sitka Spruce and Olympic National Park were saved. The Sitka Spruce is such a good tree that it makes me overlook my disdain towards spruces entirely. Is it simply because the trees are so tall that I can't reach the needles for them to poke me? Maybe. But it is also because of their undeniable majesty and the way they have enriched our lives as humans, from tribal peoples to modern wars to the last frontier. When travel becomes safer again, I strongly encourage you to go to the Pacific Northwest, to Fort Vancouver National Historic Site and Olympic National Park, and experience for yourself what makes the Sitka Spruce one of my favorite trees. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at Boomerang Brit. Find me on Twitter at My Favorite Trees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>